three months. We've got suit jacket. We've got tie. We've got the pin thing going on. It's aggressive. Ladies and gentlemen, Brad Olson, senior economist at Infometrics. Um, econo- economics put simply. How are you, mate? Yeah, very well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. So are you at work now or are you actually is this actually at home and you've dressed up and you've got no pants on? What's going on? What's, no, what's no, this 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 is at work, and I do in fact have pants on. Uh, funnily enough, you're not the first person to ask that on a video uh, call, so I, I do make sure I get fully dressed for everything it's, nowadays. Just in case it gets sense checked, I get it. So um, you're very uh, you're, you've got a, quite a fresh face to be doing this economic stuff. Uh, why are you so young and in such a powerful position? You must be very smart. What's your deal? Oh, look, I think I've just sort of given it a go and, and people have taken a chance on me uh, and that's come through really quite quickly. I've, I've had the opportunities to go wide and I think the big thing is that, you know, as, as a young person living through something even like COVID-19, people are looking for something understandable. They want to understand what is actually happening and what that means for people on the ground. And I think my upbringing sort of lends itself a little bit more towards that. Generally, economists are, one, very downbeat, and, and two, talk in very big words, and I want to try and avoid that. Yep, I can relate, and easy is good for me. I have a small brain. That helps a lot. Failed maths at high school, so this is a great, great start. Um, you come uh, not only highly recommended by a couple of people, but one in particular who I trust, and I'm not going to say what they said. They said, one of my favorite economics to listen to because he talks about money stuff in plain language and also community and collective sense, which I value. So that I, I mess with that. Um, do you actually find it's a, it's a huge asset for you with brand Brad in some way when you just simplify? That's why I said to a friend of mine, Holly Bennett, who we both know, I was like, man, just dumbing shit down for the masses is not doing a disservice. You're actually helping them. And I've been learning, and when she does it with me, and I think it's the flipping great thing, just simplifying shit because it can get super tech and super just a lot. So, I mean, do, do you find that it's actually become a bit of an asset for, for you and your business by just simplifying it for the masses to get to the, get, you know, you know, cut through for the, for the mainstream? Yeah, absolutely. And look, I don't even think it's dumbing it down. Actually, if you don't let people understand what you're talking about, you're one, not doing your job right, but two, you're not allowing people to use that information properly. You know, every time that someone uses the big words and the jargon and makes things more, uh, you know, harder to understand than otherwise, it it just makes everyone's lives more difficult. So yeah, if, if we can make it simple, if we can break it down, and also, I guess, relate what we see out there in the economy uh, to what people are experiencing on the ground. Because I mean, the big point to make here is the economy is not something separate from everything else. The economy is, is you and me operating, going out and buying stuff. So we're actually part of it. And it's important that people understand those connections. No, I totally get it. The um your probably a couple of things so we can obviously go into the um the covid stuff with the economy and also this this budget stuff what's kept you the most up recently covid or the budget I think sort of both, to be honest, it's still COVID. And, and the big one at the moment is just trying to, to keep a handle on how everything's developing. I mean, here in New Zealand, of course, we had uh, this level four lockdown that we went into for four and a half weeks, two weeks at level three. We're now at level two. And I guess everyone around the country is trying to understand exactly where the economy is settling out, you know, how much uh, are households willing to spend uh, and in what areas, you know, how, how much, uh, I, I guess, business activity is likely to be happening, who has jobs, who has fewer hours, all those things are, 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 I guess, bubbling to the surface, but because people are trying to find out what that new normal sort of looks like. Mm. 
I guarantee you haven't seen the economy do this before in your um, short 12 year um, experience so far. Um, when you, when we first went into lockdown and you realized what it would do to the economy, talk me through your headspace of what you thought would happen on that right before we went from three and into four. Like how did you, how did you see it play out over the, the, the next two months and two months later how right or wrong were you like where did your headspace go what was what was your thoughts and how did it sort of play out from what you thought would happen to what did yeah i guess i mean look the immediate thought was actually uh, probably a lot more doom and gloom and and catastrophe than it needed to be um just because you're right we've never done this before and certainly as as uh, someone who's a bit younger in the economics field i guess learning your trade uh during a, a pandemic during the worst recession since the great depression of the 1930s is quite a place to be in and so you know my first reaction was wow this is you know going to cripple the economy and then i guess just taking a breath taking a pause and going look there's actually there's enough stuff that can continue to happen you know people hmm. will find a way to work from home um and and i think immediately i realized that this was going to one really hurt it was going to be a huge hit to the economy but two that we would get through it because kiwis are a pretty resilient bunch and we, we come up with good ideas quickly and you you saw that the world round people were operating from their homes in a very short space of time uh, you know trying to juggle the, the the kids if you will with with doing work i was zooming around on my um ironing board so you know it's, it's that sort of thing where actually pretty quickly i was like look this is going to be huge but it's also manageable and, and i guess that's the balance i wanted to try and put forward when i was talking to clients when i was talking to businesses when i was talking to the media was that this is going to be a, an, an incredible economic hit but it is sort of we will get through it yeah were you um the we had uh, Ed Hyde on on, on the show, um, who is the chief customer officer at um, of Chorus, and talking about man, if it wasn't for the investment made a decade ago to get all that fiber through, we'd be in way different trouble. So it's sometimes when people get given all this shit a decade a decade later, they're actually the heroes. So and what I said, you know, like it's amazing that these publicly listed companies are still trading. These businesses are still in operation, even though no one's in the buildings that has it on. It's quite a amazing feat of technology actually saving the day. Just to, not not in terms of um, the entire program, but the fact that you could at least keep some sort of wheels in motion where people were still being able to do it. So when it went to zero, how did you see, or how do you see from okay, you know, only a couple of weeks ago, you know, we we're at level four, now we're at three, now we're at two. Got it. How do you see the world's uh, the wheels start to crank back up on this thing? What's the um, are they doing the right moves, the right plays? How do you see it sort of rolling? Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the second wave that's going to come out of obviously jobs and uh, businesses that don't make it after the, the dollars dry up, and then there's going to be this this next wave of sort of commercial stuff. How do you sort of see it playing out from here in the next couple of months for the New Zealand economy? Yeah, and that's the big thing. I think we're probably in a bit of a lull, to be honest, and I, I, I guess I'm a bit scared that that lull becomes something that businesses uh, sort of latch onto. You're right that once we came out of level three, we had an immediate boost in spending. Uh, you know, people were, were running around town, uh, buying haircuts. their coffees, getting their haircuts. Well, yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing. Last week we saw haircuts. I haven't got mine yet. Um, I, I definitely do need to do that soon. Neither, mate, neither. <laughs> but it is the big thing where, you know, that quite quickly settles down, and we saw that in, in level three where we had this burst of spending but within a few days you know you heard from people who said 
on the first day there was a massive you know lines out the door at Macca's all of a sudden there was no one at McDonald's at all um, you know the, that that spending activity did sort of soften back a bit and talking to a lot of businesses there was that that I guess expectation that the lull wouldn't be quite as as big you know they were still expecting that more people would come through the door there'd be more money sloshing around and in my mind there is this lull that we're entering into and I fear that businesses might get lulled into this false sense of security that yeah. uh, you know the economy hasn't gotten quite as bad um, and my thinking you, you know we're sort of in the eye of the storm we are going to see continued job losses we're going to see continued uh, you know business closures over the next wee while and I guess that's the thing that I'm that's keeping me up at night is is just when we see that start to come through but also Look, the big challenge here is that the last, uh, you know, real business shock we've ever had was the GFC back in sort of 09. And every, that's that's everyone's reference point. And I think we've got to remember that that took a while to get going and it also took a while to recover from, whereas this is a very short, sharp hit. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's immediate. We had this complete plunge in activity. And I think, you know, if when we look out over the next 12 months, we're still going to have job losses over that period. We're not sort of going to, I guess, start to track back up. We're probably just going to hold it at a certain level of activity for a while longer. And, and that's the concern for me, is that we think we're getting back towards recovery when, in fact, we're just holding our own. Yeah, it's a good point. When, um, you know, obviously I've been fortunate enough to, to have a bunch of you know, uh, friends that are in the mix with all this sort of crazy stuff going on. And we've, we're talking about, you know, um, if you've got a seat at the table, you've been twice as busy than ever. And if you don't, you're doing absolutely nothing. And what's become very clear is the second wave that's coming. There's been a lot of it for those that are doing nothing that have potentially just been, you know, on pause, literally just, just chilling off the grid, whatever, is there's been a quite a lot of, I don't know if it's complacency from businesses or naivety from employees but not realizing what's going to come next because if a business argument, say, you know, a restaurant or whatever stops for six weeks trading um, and then all of a sudden pops back up, but then all of a sudden you've got, you haven't traded for six weeks, then when your cash flow is on you on a couple of days anyway, and when you open back up, you're at 20 to 30% of the revenue, you are not going to have the same type of business and you're not going to feel that effects until after obviously um, the payments come out from the government and then the market goes back and then after that lull happens, the reality is there's going to be a, a huge um, drop off again, the second dip down. And so, because I've got a, a couple of friends that have been just, you know, um, employees rolling sort of saying, oh, sweet man, get paid this and that. And I said, well, what do you think would happen to your business if it only had you know, 20% of the business that rolled through with it. Do you th think it would keep the same stuff? He's like, oh, no, shit, no, no. I was like, okay, so, like, let's just talk through this, you know, just, like, sit pretty simply. And they're like, oh, shit. And I was like, yeah. So probably come maybe July, th there might be some different things happening with you and the business. He was like, really? I was like, I think so. And I, 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 maybe it might be quicker, but it's things are going to be happening and changing. How do you um, – and – that's kind of a bad scenario to look at for a company, the country that even is doing so well in comparison to the world. The other spots in the world, there's so many more places, stuff that are still in lockdown now. Like currently, as you know, as we talk, I'm flipping in America at the moment, and we've been in lockdown since March 15th, and they've extended till the end of July or some shit for for LA. And people were just, it's it's a it's a wild west in in, in many respects. How do you think the globally for these other countries the correlation between economy going up or down based on con contain the virus in and out because there's going to be different um different countries have different um i guess results from this thing what do you think the correlation is going to be specifically in different parts of the world based on what happens with with covid to its own economy because I'm, I'm sure this is gonna this long tail is gonna be spikes all over the show right 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, certainly hearing from different places across the world, obviously the, that contention over whether you lock down, uh, you know, for how long it goes on, all of those sort of factors are things that people look at. But across the world, regardless of whether or not you've you've had sort of had a, a hard lockdown or not imposed, we still know that people are very fearful to go outdoors. Um, there's, the, the, I guess, a much more restrictive environment for spending if you're a household, you're just so worried about where the economy's going uh, that you are going to sort of be a lot more frugal with your spending. You're going to chuck more cash away in your back pocket for a rainy day. Even if you've still got a job, you don't know if you'll sort of have that job in six months' time. You might have to take a pay cut. You might have your hours reduced. All of those elements just create so much uncertainty. And I guess you're right as well that we are very much in a bit of a transition stage. Uh, you know, we're still trying to feel where the economy is moving to, what some of the key drivers are, uh, where that new level of activity sits. And, and I guess that's the thing is we don't ever bounce back to normal. It's not like within two years' time we're in the same position we were pre-COVID. We do emerge into a new normal and th some of those big structural changes are going to be quite massive. For a country like New Zealand, our traders and, and you know our, our exports are critical to our survival as an economy, as, as a society. And so trying to understand what those changes mean on a global scale is going to affect you know who we can sell to and what sort of money we get from from international countries. So some massive changes coming through. And again, you know this is so much wider than any shock we've seen in living memory. The GFC has nothing on it. Um, the 1987 stock crash, again, very, very little on it. We, we do have to go back to something like the Great Depression, which was just so widespread and, and, and I guess catastrophic from an economic point of view to understand what those resets look like. Hmm. In some in some ways as well, you've probably perfectly positioned as an economist that's almost younger because even the old dogs haven't seen this happen before. So you're all on an even playing field. And if you've got a fresher set of perspective of, of the world that we live in now with, with tech and social media and the way we integrate with technology, you probably have a lot more insights to what potentially could be. So when you, what's the biggest beef that econ economists are battling about at the moment between the old dogs and the young dogs like uh, and the young bucks is there something that's quite a contentious point that half these guys are like stuff this and the other half are like no nah, it's it's this shit like what's the is there something from a, a you know what's the beef in, within economists within your whatsapp group chats of like stuff you steve you don't know shit what's the what's the thing oh look i think there's there's probably two and the first one is is a little bit generational look in, in the sense that when i approach this stuff i've got sort of no preconceptions i don't think oh you know i'll hark back you know what sort of uh challenges we're facing i've sort of got a you know a, a bit more of a clean slate i'm sort of not taking anything for granted uh there's nothing that that is sort of locked in so, so in, in, in that mind, I guess I've got a bit of a different view there because everything is on the table and you have to get quite imaginative to see what differences are coming through. But look, the big beef at the moment uh, among economists, and look, this has certainly come true uh, with the likes of, of the budget last week. And, and, you know, we've got sort of the Treasury, the government's chief economic, uh, you know, analysts. We've got the Reserve Bank and we've got some of the private uh, forecasters here in New Zealand who are picking a pretty qu quick recovery. You know, within two years or so, everything's sweet again, um, you know, Life is normal. People are back employed. Um, you know, nothing to see here. 
And in my mind, I, I just go, man, if we lose something like 250,000 jobs or, or even, a, you know, 150,000 jobs, we just can't recover that quite so quickly. It's 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 much, uh, I guess it's that, that time scale of recovery that is, is a thing we're really grappling with at the moment. Um, what is that, that, that time scale look like? How long does it take us to establish this new normal? And what sort of damage does that do to the economy? How do we, how do we adjust for that? Because if it is something we get over within two years, then the policy responses, you know, the amount of money we have to spend and the areas we spend it are quite different. You, you sort of, you, you just sort of truck on like normal. If it's going to take three to five years for, you know, all these jobs to be regained, for all of these other people to find a, a new place to work, that's going to cause some much wider disruptions and we're going to have to resource differently for it. People f who are out of a job for that long are going to lose some of their skills. It's going to be so much harder to get them back into work. Uh, it's going to fragment our communities. We've got to be prepared for that. And that's the big challenge at the moment is figuring out if this is going to be short and sharp or if it's going to be a much longer tail. And I expect it's going to be that longer tail. It's, it's just such a cat. You know, we are upending the economy. We've seen some massive changes um, in New Zealand. Tourism is never going to be the same again. And all of mm. these things compound to make a very, very uh, unfortunate but, but very long-winded um, economic up upheaval. Yeah, yeah, and it brings a, another interesting point, right? Because I'm imagining from the um, for economy side, they will, you know, do up budgets based on how long they think this will last. And with when cash comes out, yeah, I hadn't actually, you know, thought of that. And I'm sure the money they drop into tourism or events or small business or whatever now, if they think it's going to be two, is going to be a lot different if it's two or five years. But then it brings into the next point. So one of the the things that I've been and I'd be really interested in your take on it is, you know, so you're talking about before, say we lose, you know, two hundred thousand jobs, and if they if there's nothing else to sort of fill their boots, what do they do? Do. We had Andrew Slater on the show, who is the CEO of our home, uh, um, home Care Medical, and he was talking about, you know, they their t team went from, I think, like 400 to, um, they hired 750 staff in three weeks or something, and they did it by um, retraining uh, people that worked at... Um, uh, for all the phones and stuff that people that worked at travel agencies and they basically use that existing skill set with humans into a different vertical but using that same skill set it was quite interesting then i was thinking about okay well if new zealand goes into um you know we have a big drop off there's going to be a direct correlation if new zealand opens again but it opens up for global business to be able to potentially come here and do a similar type thing if their countries are, are stopped. Is one of the ways that New Zealand saves itself is by coming a safe, is it to try and become a safe haven for global business to set up shop locally and then use um, like local talent and, and people to do? Like, is that something that, that has legs, makes sense? If it was, what would that, that work? Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's definitely an option, you know, to, to consider. Uh, and we've already seen a little bit of that coming through. I think Microsoft announcing it wanted to bring a data center to New Zealand. So, you know, definitely some big options there. And I guess what you also, you know, you've touched on there is that retraining. And, and I guess we need to be realistic here that we have a bunch of people who have got some very, very good skills. And actually, we don't have to fully retrain them. We don't have, sort of have to suck all the knowledge out of their head and replace it with something brand new. We just need to tweak it a little bit around the edge 
ages. So instead of having everyone go in for, you know, like a three-year degree to learn a new trade or something, often we could put them in for sort of a three-month course or so to, to you know, re-establish their people skills, but for healthcare instead of, like you say, travel. And that quite quickly allows us to, I, I guess, uh, re-engage those people, rehire them, get them moving again. That gives them cash that makes uh, sure they can pay the bills for them and their family, you know, much wider spin-offs. And certainly what we've started to hear from overseas is that New Zealand is, is sort of smashing the curve a lot quicker than other countries. And we are being seen a little bit as that safe haven. If we can attract mm. businesses here, even at a very small scale, you know, that it all helps. It all contributes to us being able to get back on our feet. And I think as well, it's an opportunity for New Zealand companies uh, to possibly expand a bit out into the world and say, look, we're ready to go, we're, we're fired up, uh, we've, we've sort of smashed through this, what services can we offer to you, the globe, as you struggle, you know, if you're in lockdown, if your supply chains are broken, because we're here, we're ready, we're, we're able to bring it, you know, and I think there's a big opportunity there for us to start exporting probably more services overseas as well. Yeah, so I was going to ask that, so say if th- that, that makes sense, right, but what would the government specifically have to do to act as a magnet for global business to set up shop here if their own countries are still struggling with this it's a shit show blah blah all the rest of it like how would what would the government have to do to make that happen like what what would the move you would do to do that I think you'd probably need to have a little bit of a even a temporary relaxation on some of our overseas investment um, act changes, you know, essentially making sure we can get more foreign capital into New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And if you are a business that is, is going to relocate some of your operations here, that that is, is, is possible at the moment. You know, there's there's a lot of restrictions and, and they are there for good purpose. But I guess, uh, again, a temporary relaxation or a, a temporary re, uh, imagination of how those operate for the next, say, two years could be beneficial. I think we also probably need to make sure that we're still marketing ourselves, not just to the general public, but actually specifically to businesses. Um, you know, we, we've got a great team at the likes of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Uh, we've got a, a fantastic crew as well at NZTE. All of those organisations who are already talking to some of the, the, the big organisations and, and different countries around the world and just saying, look, you know, I hear that you guys are wanting to do a bit of work and are finding it a little bit challenging. Well, we've got some great uh, great setup down here in New Zealand if you want to come along. I, I think it is actually just making people aware that we are not only open for business, but we're willing to embrace it because there is a difference. We can sort of sit back, you know, in a very passive sense and say, yeah, look, if you want to come, that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll love it. And the other one is going out there actively and saying, look, you know, you want to get something going. We've got space to get something going. Come and see us and we can, you know, get something happening. Yeah, it's yeah, it's going on offense globally because the brand of New Zealand is massive. The halo effect of leadership with Jacinda globally is massive. But then it's how do you make that olive branch or or just that offensive play of like, hey, we're ready to go. Let's get up. Let's let's do something. So if you, um, we were talking to, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this idea of you know pre COVID, after COVID, PC, AC, and when I was talking to Rob Fife about it, he goes, yeah, that that's right. But you're missing one bit in the middle. It's pre COVID with COVID after COVID. Now this with COVID section could last six months, 12, 18 months, whatever. When you think about this with New Zealand right now, how would you prioritize the government's um, where it should put its most energy with COVID and then after COVID, right? Like when, when it gets to level one, it's after. Between now and that point, what do you think the, the biggest levers to pull to try and get New Zealand back as fast as possible would be? 
Yeah, so, I mean, there's some big challenges with that, and we saw that actually in the budget last week. Uh, you know, the sort of additional transitionary funding, if you will, with a, an expanded wage subsidy, that keeps more businesses in operation for a while longer. But I think, you know, we've got to make a, a call at some point, put that line in the sand, that we can't just support businesses inde indefinitely. You know, things will change. Uh, you know, conditions are never going to be the same for some businesses, and so trying to make that judgment call on when we're best to to flip from um, response to recovery is, is going to be really important. I think what we have done here in New Zealand quite well, uh, particularly with some of the government moves, is keeping the lights on. You know, the, moment, the base level of momentum in the economy is still moving. We had around about half of, of the workforce still operating at level four. Um, we had around about three quarters working at level three and, and almost everyone's back working now at level two. So we have sort of kept that momentum going. That means we can springboard going forward. I think the challenge for me as we, we move forward is, is understanding what is that, that, that new position and how do we set up for it? You know, uh, essentially, if you are a, a tourism business, what does the outlook look like in two years' time? Is it, you know, back to normal? Is it 80% of normal? Is it that you actually have, you know, you completely re-pivot your business from international tourism to domestic only? What are some of those changes But and, and, and how do we make sure that businesses are prepared for them? Because at the moment, businesses are just trying to keep their head above water you know they're trying like you mentioned earlier just trying to keep that cash flow moving and 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 uh you know pay their workers pay their bills keep a bit of money coming in the door so i think in the, in the next few months we sort of have to pop our head up a bit and go look what are the surroundings looking like what is the government doing or not doing and therefore make some adjustments accordingly i think the the, the big one will be for businesses whether or not they see a viable option going forward is just simply is there going to be the money because if kiwis are not going to be spending as much money on certain areas those areas just can't continue in the same way and and again we have to be quite realistic about that adjustment but you're right during this with covid period there is going to be a a, a much um, sharper profile of, of how the economy works. Pre-COVID, obviously, in a very good position. A little bit of slower growth already coming through, but by and large, we were working well. Post-COVID, again, you know, massive opportunities as we decide to redevelop the economy, we can start to address some of those uh, longer-term issues that we've always wanted to, but never had the, the sort of the impetus to. At the moment, though, I think everyone is trying to keep their heads down a bit, and we do need to pop our heads up and just start to scan where that horizon is. That's, that's going to be the challenge in my, my mind for how businesses might develop through this. And where, where do you see the tra the Trans Tasman bubble popping up? Because obviously everyone's starting to, to make guesses and bits and pieces, and there's a bunch of different like maybe let's just park all the health stuff for a second. But from a money side, how big of an impact will that have ha have on either side the second that happens? Like what 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 do you think? And that's going under the 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 guys that you know there won't be any quarantine on each side. You can literally just fly and go. What if the wheel gets to that point and New Zealand between the bubble does? What type of impact will that have, and how how soon to the economy? Yeah, look, I think it'll be big, and and I the 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 point I do want to make though with with stuff like this, and we have heard it a lot over the last few weeks, is every time there's an idea like this, everyone sees it as the the silver bullet that will cure you know the economic scourge that that, that is COVID, and I think we need to be really quite realistic about this. That even if we were to have a bubble open tomorrow, we're not going to have you know just this immediate resurgence of of activity again to pre-COVID, and and that in my mind, talking to people is what what they expect. You know, they say, yeah, okay, we know the economy's different, but this will be the same again, and that will be the same again. And I, I challenge that every time I say, 
is is that actually true? Now, if we look at something like the Trans-Tasman bubble, if it comes in, in in the next few months, that's quite good because we'll get Aussies who aren't really, you know, they're not able to take a break to Bali or anywhere else. Um, they'll probably come for a ski here in New Zealand. You know, that's something that, that we offer that's quite a unique and, and certainly a much cheaper option going forward. But at the same time, if we are opening up our borders to Australians, we're also going to have more Kiwis that go over to Australia as well. So we're sort of, we're taking with one hand and giving with another. So, you know, in, in general, I think we'll probably still make a bit of money off, off you know, uh, Aussies who come here to New Zealand. But we do have to be realistic as well that there's a few pr- factors that are going to limit just how effective that is going forward. Now, I'm not saying it, it, it's completely useless as an idea, but I, I am saying don't sort of hold it as, as the holy grail. Kiwis are not going to have as much money in their back pockets, and and if they do, they're not going to be spending it too much on travel. Uh, you know, uh, they, and, and that's the same for Aussies as well. They are seeing incredible job losses. Again, their unemployment rate has spiked. There is just less money going around, and people are still in that uncertain phase. Now, if we're still seeing, you know, some COVID cases across the world, I would expect that there won't be as much demand for travel. People are just not going to want to hop in a tin can for a few hours with a whole bunch of other humans who might be coughing. And, you know, at the best of times, people are a bit uh, a bit allergic, if you will, to trying to go on planes with, with a whole bunch of other people. All of those elements, plus the fact that, you know, these airlines that we're talking about have had a, a huge hemorrhaging of cash, they're going to be charging a, a higher rate to get people across places. So you've sort of got higher prices, lower demand, you know, a bit more uncertainty and fear we will get more activity going but it won't just sort of be that this click boom everything's fine you know we're back to the billions of dollars we normally make from tourism um so look it would definitely be a good idea and certainly i guess it would give us a model for how we're able to expand this bubble further you know could we eventually bring in the likes of singapore or south korea or japan as those countries are able to limit their own COVID cases. Um, and I, I guess when we start to, to develop that idea, that is when we start to get that international tourism ticking back up, up again. But mm. I guess just cautioning, it is not the holy grail. It's not this complete, um, you know, reversal of fortunes where everything is fine and dandy again. There are still going to be a lot of challenges, both on the demand side, but also on that supply side. Are airlines going to be flying the same number of routes? Are they going to be offering the same sort of co- cost, uh, you know, competitive prices? All of those elements do dictate a little bit where the economic fortunes will fall for people yeah just even on that the trans-tasman one if it depends on the date because if it happens on july 1st a bunch of people will come over for skiing in queenstown if it happens on october 1st they won't and to that other point as well you know we might have a couple hundred thousand going over here but then instead of locals spending locally in new zealand they're going to be spending over there so yeah no that's that's why you're the economist mate that's why you've got the fancy (laughs) pin what is that pin? Is that a gold kiwi? It what is, is a gold kiwi. Yeah. That's so baller. That's so dope. <laughs> um, hmm. What do you think's like, what's your biggest fear for New Zealand right now? Like obviously you're a young buck in, in the game. You're going to be around doing this shit for flipping for, forever and, and in the mix. Like when you look out 20 years from this point, like we, what are you most fearful of for your, your children or your children's children? Your future children's children. I, I think, to be honest, I'm worried at the moment about about our young people here and now, and what that also means for future generations. Look, uh, the numbers that we're seeing come through 
uh, do show that young people, you know, everyone aged below 30 is wearing the, the, the or I guess, bearing the brunt of this, this economic uh, catastrophe and, and chaos that we're currently seeing. Over the last, I think, two months, we saw something like a, nearly a 60% increase in the number of people aged under 30 who needed government support. Now, that was compared to something like 35% for people aged 30 to 64. So young people at the moment are, are really seeing that, that job decline. They're sort of the, the first in the, or sorry, the last in the door, but the first out from an employment uh, sort of point of view. If you talk to businesses, and, and look, I've got a number of friends who have lost jobs uh, who are, or who are on reduced hours, all those elements, young people don't sort of have the same experience and they're not seen to have the same amount of skills. So they are sort of, you know, turfed out quite quickly. Now, my worry is if we if we do have this this very long time frame for recovery, there's a whole bunch of young people who aren't able to get into a job, uh, you know, that they, they don't have the the ability to, to re-engage in the labour market, they're left sitting at home on government support and they turn into long-term dependents. Now, that's not going to be true for everyone, but if we do see that sort of thing start to trickle through, I do really start to worry about how we get young people re-engaged in the economy, how we get them to actually support themselves. Now, I say that as well because the government's borrowing I think it's something like 200 billion plus over the next few years to get us out of the uh, out of this hole. Now mm. that is absolutely the right move. Don't get me wrong, but it does mean that future generations have to pay that off. That's going to be, you know, myself, my 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 friends, all of my um, flatmates, and that that's going to be us that has to pay off this big burden. That's going to be a huge, huge challenge. And I guess the, the fear as well that I have is that we don't make the necessary adjustments to allow for a post-COVID environment. I, I am worried, I guess, that we say, you know, yes, we know the economy will change post-COVID, but everyone just continues down that path of, of you know, it's all, it's all normal, it'll, it'll all sort of recover again. If we don't retool the economy, if we don't get people ready for this change, we're going to set ourselves back a long time. Now, that might not be an immediate hit, but it means that over time there are going to be fewer Kiwis in work, they're going to be earning less money, and the fortunes for, you know, my kids and, 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 and grandchildren, that is going to be much more limited. That's, that's the big fear I have. And I, I say that because if we don't make these adjustments now, they, they don't filter through for a long time. We're going to have to pay back this debt and we start we, we need to start thinking about some of those, I guess we call them sacred cows, particularly in New Zealand, of how we spend money. You know, the likes of New Zealand Super is a very expensive component of the, the New Zealand government sort of payment system. Now, do we have to reimagine that? Do we have to think of raising the age? Do we have to think of different ways of taxing to make sure we actually rebuild this pandemic insurance that we've paid out? Because, and this is probably the, the overarching fear, if we have all of these young people that aren't in work and that can't get back into work, we've loaded up all this debt. And if we don't make a plan to repay it and we have another disaster, you know, a, another earthquake, another some other natural disaster, a pandemic, a financial crisis, we've already spent our rainy day fund. And if we don't repay it, we're going to get ourselves even further into debt. Our young people are going to suffer even more. And so, you know, the, the weight of, the, of, of, of all of this is sort of settling on young people to much of a degree. That's the thing that keeps me up at night way to depress us bro thanks for that bro. It, was, it was a great it was, it was a great great depressing little set. no but you're, you're right though right and it's always been the, the case of whatever we are living in now for young bucks in the mix came from what our parents did and blah blah, blah and you have to live with that but i think not that you can take any you know more stoke out of it but you know this is something that was 
was forced onto us, onto the world that had never been seen before. Not that you write it out. Not it's like you know, old mate Bob made a bad decision and he stuffed the whole thing. It's actually like, oh, actually, the shit happened, and you know, it's it's this is a pandemic, this is a global thing, and you know, the whole world. And even that's so weird because you're talking about the the danger that we're in, and we're open and kind of open for business when so much of the world is still in pause. So in many ways, we're so stuffed, but we're still so blessed. It's a it's a funky sort of tension of like you know like gratitude and, and and frustration and despair you know it's it's a it's a it's a funky one I'm, I'm i always get half depressed and half stoked like stoked on the future of what it can be and gutted that like we're in this shit you know um well and, and that's I, the big thing you know if, if we look at this though and, and look i mean sure i turned pretty depressing for a second but i think we also have to recognize there is a bit of opportunity here probably again for for young people and that's that's i guess the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is you know that that possible optimism if we look at what's changed in New Zealand when we entered lockdown uh, you know everyone had to very quickly pivot towards using online tools and all that and talking and, and seeing young people sort of embrace this technology and get going quite fast was I guess a, a mark of confidence for the economy people were able to find a different way of working and certainly talking to a lot of young people around the country you know I think businesses are starting to give you know their young employees a little bit more leeway to say look you know if we are in challenging times if we are seeing a big struggle you know have a crack you know do do, do something different we'll give you a bit of you know wriggle room because there is you know uh, I, I guess not as much of a, a risk going forward the risk is already there that the, the ability for collapse and and, and further chaos is, is already well established so finding some other way to do business is there's not too much of a risk that comes through that there is is going to be critical for young people as we try and develop out of this is those people who are nimble that, that are ready to take a chance that are ready to i guess watch and adapt are going to be the people that succeed as we come out of COVID. and, and that is i guess on the flip side of that very depressing um expectation for for longer term unemployment and, and some of the big challenges is that if there's one area i can see us getting out of this better it is that sort Sort of the innovation that number eight wire thinking and and that ability to adapt that we seem to have much better uh, or much more than the rest of the world i t totally agree and especially with the different types of there's going to be different types of leadership out of this it's going to be offense or defense defense stuff this scared of the future or whatever and offense let's get it up and go let's change the way this things works you know everything's obviously in a cloud now everything's a software business everything is digital and how it sort of goes um before you go uh i want to talk about the budget really quickly who is the who got pumped and got rolled that should have maybe got more of that? Every every people on the streets are like, this is flipping what? Like why? Who got screwed from a from hypothetical, not your exact personal opinion, but from sure. lots of people that you talk to? <laughs> Look, I think businesses were the ones that sort of struggled themselves. We saw additional support coming through for employees, and, and again, you know, a, a good thing with that wage subsidy extension. Uh, we saw some of our key public services get a boost. Education and training, of course, going to be critical for moving forward, as well as the likes of healthcare and some of those areas. But if you talk to a lot of businesses across the country, they were sitting there on Thursday afternoon last week and going, well, what does this change for my actual business? You know, I'm, I'm still having to operate with much less money coming in the door. Um, I'm having to still keep my workers on and pay my expensive overheads. I'm having to pay a bit more actually at the moment to actually have all the PPE and the, the distancing and all those other restrictions that are placed on me. What do I get? What What is actually going to ensure that I as a business can survive? And I think that's one of the areas that we didn't see any real action on. You know, there's been talk of rent relief. There's been talk of, uh, you know, getting additional 
additional money back into businesses. At the moment, all a business really gets out of out of the government is either that wage subsidy support, which again only contributes to employee costs, or it can take out a loan. And for a business, if you're sort of loading yourselves up to the eyeballs with debt yourself, and you're going, well, I still don't have the same amount of money coming in. Am I ever going to be able to repay this debt? Or am I going to lose my house that's attached to my business? That's the real struggle. So I think we, we didn't see anything really uh, firm coming out for businesses. But the other thing, and, and uh, there is a bit of a balance here, we didn't see a big plan. We had a lot of their foundations being set for the recovery and for the changes we're likely to see in the economy. Again, you know, their education, that is, is critical. But there wasn't a huge amount of vision for what does the economy look like in three years' time? What areas do we want to sort of build forward in or not? And I think, again, if you're a business, you're, sort of, you're waiting for that blueprint. You're waiting for an expectation, a signal from the government about whether or not you should invest, whether or not you are going to be in a viable position or not. Those sort of challenges are the big ones for businesses at the moment. And again, if we don't get our businesses going, we are going to see further closures and that will see sort of, you know, more unemployment, uh, a slower return to, to normal levels of spending. All of those sort of elements are going to hinder our survival. So I think that's the main area of, of uh, uh, lack of activity from the budget was a real firm guidance and firm support for businesses themselves. Yeah, and obviously being election year, it was pretty simple with, you know, um, where a lot of the you know, they're saying, you know, 97% of New Zealand businesses are small business. And with every small business now sitting there like, guys, this isn't helping me. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, it's actually kind of a dangerous spot to be in. Like if you're, you know, the opposition, it's pretty simple what you you sort of go at. But, you know, that's, I think that's why we both stay away from the, the too crazy, the politics <laughs> stuff. Um, I really appreciate your time, man. It's been really good, um, good chatting to you. It's, it's rad just, the, you know, the way you simplify and it's just, it's basic shit, but it's, it's awesome. And it, um, just to see come through because as much as it's a challenge for New Zealand right now coming out of it, it's a flipping massive opportunity when you look at the rest of the world because they've got the same problems and a lot of them are still shut. So it's like, okay, cool. Well, would you rather be open and dealing with this and have options to go outside and get a coffee and get a haircut and open a business and have someone in there and be able to trade and be able to see someone in person and be able to do a service business? And like, would you rather that or be that for stuck in house for another couple of months. And I, I think um, people would, would much rather deal with a, you know, a, a commercial challenge right now for the economy than potentially, you know, flipping more body bags and flipping ho hospitals and shit. Right. So I, I think net net we, we've, we're pretty, pretty lucky that, um, you know, we can call ourselves Kiwis. Um, I really appreciate the time, Brad. It's been, um, been mega. So um, info metrics you've got, I saw on your website as well. Um, I'll give you props as well on the, on the end of your email. You've got a nice little promo to go to click here for intro metrics, COVID-19 uh, economic insights and response page. Well done. It's got lots of good <laughs> insights on that. It was, it was, it was very, um, very solid. Um, yeah, infometrics.co.nz, uh, senior economist, and really appreciate your time, dude. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, and I, I really appreciate the conversation. Oh, good banter, mate. Good. You can, um, you can go to sleep well tonight, knowing that you, um, you know, clued up one more dumb kiwi. So thank you. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Love your work, brother. Talk to you soon. Cheers. Catch ya. Bye. What a legend. How good was that? Smart senior economist, flipping young buck, eh? Rolling there in his flipping blue suit or suit up. He's the most well-dressed. Actually, this might be something to this. He might've been our youngest. Was he one of the youngest? He might've been one of our youngest guests, probably one of the smartest and the most well-dressed. 
I mean, old people got to step it up, man. People give me shit. Look at Brad. He's on fire. Um, really interesting because it, you always see on both sides, like even with the Trez Tasman thing, would not have thought about the fact that, oh, you know, we'll be saved if, you know, Aussies come here simultaneously. A lot of Kiwis go there. That's going to take money out of our economy too, um, rolling it back up. Um, and I think from a business perspective, for every single small business, um, Brad's point at the end was definitely right there. It's a big risk where if the employees get hooked up, but not the employers, and the employers have potentially take on more debt, they may not want that debt and be like, stuff this noise and be outy. So, you know, we're about to go into a next, you know, he called it a kind of a lull. Um, you know, if you're an employee, don't be naive to what's coming around the, the corner. If you're an employer, um, look to repivot with what's going to happen because he's saying, you know, two years and uh, some are saying two years and he's saying three to five. You know, if we're to be in this for the three to five, I think everyone's game plans will potentially change. So I hope you enjoyed that one, team. I definitely learned a lot.